0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. We want to start, as always, by thanking our new patrons. Lyra, Tyler S., Susan Still, Lisa Burns, Gregory A. Georgiou, Ash Peak, and Elizabeth Joan. Thank you so much. We couldn't do this without you. Join us over on Patreon, where all of our tiers, $5 and above, get access to a patron-only Discord server, where you can chat with us and other fans of the show. You'll find bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and weekly production updates. You'll also find a second monthly story. These patron-exclusive stories get more 13 into your podcast app, and for the last two months and moving forward, they include music. As a patron, you'll find all of these perks and more, both in your Patreon app and on your patron-exclusive RSS feed, which will always be ad-free. If you're just interested in listening to the main 13 episodes without ads, check out our $1 ad-free tier. Find out more at patreon.com slash 13pod. Thank you to everyone who picked up 13 merch for your holiday shopping. There's still time to get a little something for the 13 fan in your life. And you deserve a Christmas present too. Look for a link to the merch store down in our show notes. Okay, quick note. Last month, we made a mistake in our intro. Our November story was written by Stephen Riera, not Stephen Riviera. We're so sorry for the mistake. This month, we have a three-part story for you. This one will be released weekly on Tuesdays through the 27th of December. Unlike our last big story, the full series is not complete and ready to go on Patreon, but patrons will be getting parts two and three as soon as they're finished, instead of waiting until the wide release. So if you're on the fence about joining our Patreon, that's one more reason to sign up. Okay, get comfy, turn down the lights, and now, on with the show.
1: I've been flipping houses for most of my adult life. My dad passed away in my early 20s. When he died, I got a life insurance policy and what he'd built up in a 401k. It was a decent amount of money and I used that money to buy my first investment property. My dad had been a contractor and I'd worked with him off and on since I'd been old enough. So I thought that I knew what I was doing when it came to fixing up old run-down houses. That first house? That first house taught me otherwise. I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that place. And also, a lot more time and money than I should've. It was cathartic though. Tearing down drywall with my bare hands. The tedium of learning basic plumbing and HVAC. Getting it all wrong and having to buy new materials to do it all over again. By the time i finished it, I'd taken out my anger and grief on the interior demolition. I'd meditated as I turned screws and spackled and sanded. I spent my nights falling asleep as I looked up at a dark ceiling, listening, on a portable CD player, to my dad's albums. That first house is where the most intense mourning and grief happened. It's also the only time I've lost money on a house. But, it's where I learned how to do it right. I turned over two more houses when I met Lindsay. A few weeks after we started dating, I was on a deadline to turn a house around, so I didn't have any spare time. I was surprised to hear a knock on the door. She showed up in work clothes and helped me put the finishing touches on the house. Nothing brings people together more than a shared project, especially a house project. It inspires you to dream together, to really think about what you want. We were able to finish it in time for the buyer and she stayed with me through the next house and then the next one. After a year, we pitched in together and we both did this full time. Twice the people, half the time to turn it around, right? We moved through several houses a year, sometimes more than one at a time. Some of the homes had been abandoned. Other times, they'd been lived in, but the former owner had just allowed the place to decay around them. Everything moved really fast after Lindsay and I were officially business partners. In hindsight, maybe too fast. And as we started to approach our 30th birthdays, I could see a change in Lindsay. She was getting tired of the constant moving. So, we made a plan. We'd start working toward a bigger vision. We were gonna start a company, a real one. We would hire a crew and rehab houses during the day. And, we'd have a place of our own to come home to at night. A real permanent home. We just had to push through until we had the money to make it happen. But, Somewhere along the way, we hit a wall. Our dream was always just a couple jobs away, and then a couple more. We were never quite able to get there. When she got pregnant and the baby came, we had to start being more selective about where we moved into next. It had to be suitable for a child. That meant we couldn't buy as cheap as we used to, and that put us further behind our goal. A couple more years passed, and with no end in sight, Lindsay had finally had enough. After the divorce, I wasn't going to be able to find another place in Louisville. With joint custody, I still had to find homes that were livable for a toddler. And after the settlement, I didn't have enough to afford a place like that. So, I had no other choice than to start looking elsewhere. And that elsewhere I found was Maysville, Kentucky. Maysville was a quaint little town, and the properties are cheap. The house I found was a third of the price it would have been in Louisville. But it was two and a half hours away. I'd been in Maysville for a few weeks, getting the house in good enough shape for my son to stay with me. We have to work Ollie's visits around his school schedule. His last day before winter break was on December 10th. The next day, Lindsay and I would meet in the middle and switch out Ollie for the week. He would go home for Christmas with his mom and grandparents, and then come back for a few days and we'd do our own little Christmas here. And then he'd be back in school for the new year. And then who knows how long it would be before I'd see him again. I hated that our visits were so far apart, but I was thankful for these two big chunks of time over the winter break, and, soon enough, I'd make enough to get back to the city, and these long drives and big stretches of time apart wouldn't be an issue anymore. We met up outside of Lexington and Ollie jumped in my back seat. From there, we took a two-lane road all the way to Maysville. The road curves around the outskirts of all the little towns that we pass. And then there's the long downhill stretch into the Ohio River Valley. By comparison to Louisville, Maysville is tiny. But out here, it's the biggest town around. It's just south of Ohio and not far from West Virginia. We got off the main road and onto a much smaller one. Then the road began a steep descent with a number of cutbacks as we made our way down to the old part of town. It was Ollie's first time seeing a road like this, and he loved it. As we approached the bottom of the big hill, the trees opened up and we could see the little river town coming into view. Old buildings, old houses, and in the distance, the Ohio River, a tall and imposing bridge crossing over it. The river was different here than in Louisville. Here, the other side was all trees, and the bridge loomed high over the town. He asked if we could go across. I told him not now, but we'd go back over the bridge later. First, we needed to get to the house and unload. There was disappointment in his reply. Okay, he said. I made a mental note that come hell or high water, we would cross that bridge tonight. The divorce had been rough on him, and he needed to know that his dad would keep his promises. When I moved to Maysville a few weeks ago, the house had felt warm and inviting. A big Victorian from the early 1900s. Tons of character. I moved in the tools and cleaning supplies, all locked safely away in the basement. It felt like a different place then now it was overcast and dreary a misty rain wasn't exactly falling but more like hanging in the air from the sidewalk the house was a looming presence anywhere would have looked ominous in this kind of weather but this place especially did over the past few weeks i'd made good progress on the house there were some persistent problems I couldn't keep the kitchen cabinets closed. They always crept open overnight. It doesn't sound like much, but buyers are expecting everything to work as they should. Luckily, Ollie was old enough that I didn't need to childproof them. There was also a smell in the place from time to time, faintly like sewage. I hadn't found a sewage problem yet, and with any luck, it was just a bad heating coil in the water heater. I'd put it in the budget to replace that anyway. I'd also become a fixture at the local hardware store, and all the employees knew me. But while Ollie was here, the work was on hold. For one thing, it wasn't safe. And I wanted to make the most of the time that we had. I would pick up on the work again when he went back to stay with his mom. Maysville is an old river town. The Ohio River cuts a deep valley in the Appalachian foothills, so the town is surrounded by tall hills and ridgelines. The old part of town was built on a relatively flat patch of land directly adjacent to the river. At its widest, the old city extends a few blocks from the river until it hits a steep ridgeline. My house sat on the furthest street from the river where the land started to ever so slightly incline. The backyard came to an end at a sudden and steep ridgeline, a sheer rock surface that rises high above the town. A few small trees had found a spot to grow here and there along the rock face, and there was a tall wooden privacy fence at the back of the property, separating the yard from the incline. From the front porch, you could look out over the rooftops of the next street and then all the way to the river and the big bridge off in the distance. Or at least you would be able to see it on a day that wasn't so hazy and rainy as this one. Just inside the front door, there was a living room, a hall that led back to the kitchen, a bedroom and a bathroom. Off that hallway was a staircase that took you upstairs to two more bedrooms and another bathroom. My favorite room was the one that looked over the front of the house, It sat more or less right on the sidewalk, so there wasn't much of a yard. But from the window, you could see the river, the bridge, and most of downtown Maysville. A collection of old storefronts and a courthouse steeple. As much as I resented leaving Louisville, I had to admit, it was a picturesque little town. And, this house, once I was finished with it, would double in value, and it would be one of this town's hidden gems. I was anxious to make my money and get back to the city, closer to Ollie and everyone else that I knew, but as the investor in me looked around this town, there were plenty of other houses just like this one. I could make this work for a couple of years. Maybe I could get a place back in Louisville and commute here for a week or two at a time. Maybe this was the break that we'd been working for all those years. Lindsay was gone. but. Maybe there was a way for me to still make this work. As promised, I took Ollie on a drive across the bridge later that day. A welcome to Ohio sign greeted us on the other side of the river. The gray overcast day had begun to dim into a dark and rainy night. We found a place to turn around and cross back into Kentucky. From the bridge, Maysville looked like something out of an old painting. The lights from town glowing through the mist. The abrupt darkness of the ridgeline behind them. Deserted streets, shrouded in fog. The next morning, that heavy fog still hung over the town. Out the back window, You could barely make out the fence at the end of the yard. You couldn't see the top of the ridgeline. Rock and trees reached upward until they disappeared into the gray. But as the morning went on and the sun began to penetrate through, we went outside so Ollie could explore the backyard. It was still muddy, but the rain had stopped. He looked up at that ridgeline. He'd never seen anything like it. It must have felt like a mountain range to him. He asked about going exploring, and I told him maybe later. I wasn't comfortable with him wandering by himself just yet. But, Ollie had reached an age where he was learning to entertain himself. He still wanted me or his mom nearby, but he would play by himself and make-believe conversations. He also learned to make up his own games, usually reenacting episodes of his favorite kid shows. While he was playing, I took some time to hang up an old barometer. I found it in the basement along with some other odds and ends left behind by the previous owner. It looked like it could have been made for an old boat. It had a wooden frame, a barometer gauge, an old mercury thermometer, and a flask with lines on it for measuring rainfall. I cleaned it up and hung it on the fence post next to the house. Ollie had been by the back fence for a while, and when I called out to him, he told me that he'd made a new friend. He motioned to the empty air next to him and said that her name was Bootsy, an imaginary friend, I assume named after his new rain boots. He ran around by the back fence, hiding behind a clump of trees, talking to Bootsy until it was time to come inside for lunch. I looked him up and down, and he was covered in mud. His face sunk at the prospect of a bath, But I told him that if he got cleaned up, we could do hot dogs for lunch. His eyes widened and his mood turned around just like that. Crisis averted. After our hot dog lunch, Ollie went down for a nap. It was a nice break in the day. Even though he could entertain himself some of the time, he still needed a lot of attention. At bedtime, Ollie had a strange request. He asked if we could keep the windows open. I told him that it was too cold, but he said he wanted to see Bootsy. I told him we needed to keep the windows and curtains closed so that he could sleep well. He'd see Bootsy tomorrow. He threw an exhausted little tantrum, but quickly wore himself out. When I was sure that he was asleep, I quietly let myself out of the bedroom. I went downstairs. They creaked loudly under my weight. I would need to look into that. I got a drink from the kitchen and then went out to the front porch. It was relatively warm for December. Nights on the porch have become one of my favorite things since moving to Maysville. It's quiet and calming and it helps me wind down at the end of the day. Sometimes a barge or some other vessel will come downstream from the east. I'll watch the lights of the ship approach, pass by, and then fade off to the west, towards Cincinnati and Louisville, back home. But there were no boats tonight. A mist was forming above the water, slight and wispy. Overnight, it would expand, slow and silent. It'll creep out over the banks of the river and climb the long, shallow hill all the way to my house. In the distance, a steady stream of unhurried headlights crossed the bridge. The air brakes on a tractor trailer echoed around the ridgeline. Somewhere nearby, a sound, like a stick breaking underfoot. The next day, Ollie asked me how to open the windows in the house. I told him that he shouldn't open any windows. It's not safe, especially with his room being on the second floor. Not every window in the house had a working lock on it, especially upstairs. I would need to fix that today. We went down to a restaurant close to the water for breakfast, and Ollie got a big plate of French toast that he'd never be able to finish. Afterward, We stopped by the hardware store, and I picked up some new locks for the upstairs windows. The hardware store was a little storefront downtown. They stocked all the basics, and anything they didn't have could be ordered and delivered in a couple of days. It was about the closest I came to socializing in Maysville. The owner of the place, at least I assumed he was the owner, was working the register. I introduced him to Ollie, and he made a big production of meeting him something that old men tend to do with young boys. We walked home and he ran off all the energy from his French toast in the yard. And he started talking to Bootsy again. In the very back of the yard, along the fence line, there was a clump of skinny little trees surrounded by a big one. The trunk of the big tree was about to encroach on the fence line. The roots were already pushing up on it from underneath causing a few of the planks to rise above the others at the top. It wasn't too bad now, but in a few years, either the fence or the tree would have to go, but that would be a problem for the next owner. For now, it was a magical ancient tree, perfect for a four-year-old's imagination. We could see the rain coming for quite some time as it made its way down the river. A wall of blurry gray. It was a good time to transition to lunch anyway. Ollie protested again, saying that he and Bootsy were still playing. So, I told him that Bootsy could come in for lunch too. He perked up right away. Easy enough. We got inside just as the first big, heavy drops started coming down around us. It had been unseasonably warm the last couple of days. The rain would bring with it colder temperatures, more normal for this time of year. Unfortunately for me and Ollie, we were both prone to getting nasty sinus infections when the weather changes. After the initial downpour, it was another dreary, dark day. Rain collected and dripped off the bare branches of the trees and the roof of the house. But on days like this, you can lean into the mood and make it an experience. I made grilled cheese and tomato soup for lunch, and then we watched a movie. About halfway through the movie, Ollie asked to go upstairs to his playroom to show Bootsy all of his toys. I felt bad for him. He wouldn't be here long enough to make any real friends. I honestly didn't know if he'd made any new friends back in Louisville. That's something a father should know. At bedtime, I read Ollie one of his favorite books and turned out the light. I stayed with him until he was asleep. When Lindsay and I split up, he'd just started going to sleep on his own. But with all the changes that came with the divorce, and especially here, in a new house in a new town, it made sense that he'd want the extra security of one of his parents staying up with him until he was asleep. The only downside is that from time to time, I would also doze off in Ollie's room And this was one of those nights. Without realizing it, I fell into a heavy sleep. When I woke up, it was one in the morning. The room was cold. Way too cold. I got up slowly and quietly so I didn't wake Ollie. Once I was out of the room, the upstairs hallway was even colder. The rain must have pushed that cold air in after all. I was groggy as I made my way down the steps. But when I got to the bottom, I was instantly alert. I felt something. A breeze. Not like air from the vents. Like wind. I turned my head to the living room. And the front door was standing wide open. I took stock of the room. The open door let in enough light from outside that I could see pretty clearly. I moved fast and pushed the door closed, locking it all in one motion. With the door closed, the room was now dark. I fumbled around for the light switch, and when I found it, I winced against the brightness. I took another look around. Everything seemed in order. I must have thought that i closed it, but didn't push it all the way in. That's what I thought at first, anyway. But as I made my way through the house, clearing each room as I went to make sure there were no intruders, I got to the kitchen, and the back door was standing wide open, too. I closed and locked that door, but this time... I knew something was very wrong. I pulled a knife from the silverware drawer. With that knife in hand, I went back through the house again, double-checking everything, behind every door and every closet. And then I did it again just to be sure. I opened the front door and stepped out onto the porch, listening. There was nothing but a distant foghorn from a boat on the river. After the adrenaline ran its course, I went back into the kitchen and I put the knife away. One of the kitchen cabinets had come open again. I pushed it closed and went back upstairs to check on Ollie. He was sound asleep. Using the light from my phone, I checked his closet just to be certain there was no one there. There was nothing. I laid down in my bed that night, but I didn't sleep. The thing about old houses is they're noisy, and every little creak and pop, every time the wind pressed against a window, I was hyper aware of it. Was it the sound of an intruder that I'd missed during my search? Was it the doors creaking open again? I laid awake all night, until the first hints of overcast gray morning came through the window, and I heard Ollie start to stir on the other side of the wall. The next day was misty and dreary, the kind of day where you'd swear it wasn't raining, but after a few minutes outside, you were cold and wet. Weather has a way of lingering over river towns this time of year. And just like I feared, with the weather change, Ollie and I both got sick. I checked the doors first thing in the morning, trying to figure out how they could have both come open. I didn't find anything. Deep down, I knew what had happened. Someone had been in the house. Maybe kids, thinking it was still vacant and when they popped the locks open, they saw that it was lived in and they ran off. Maybe. Ollie and I drove to the hardware store. Instead of the owner that Ollie had met the day before, my favorite cashier was working. She gave me a smile and a wave as Ollie and I walked in. I picked up new knobs and deadbolts for the doors. When we approached a checkout, she spoke up. Hi there. And who's this little guy? Ollie backed up against my legs. He was still shy around strangers. Are you helping your dad fix up the old Taylor place? Ollie finally responded and told her all of his favorite things about the house. He sounded younger than his age. Sometimes he still gets his L sounds mixed up with his W's and B's. I told Brandy that he was a big help. She gave me the bag, and a conspiratorial wink. I thanked her, and we left. I knew that her bubbly, outgoing demeanor was part of working in retail, so I didn't think much of it, but since I didn't know anyone around here, she was usually the highlight of my day. As we walked to the car, I remembered what she'd asked Ollie. Are you helping your dad take care of the Taylor Place? That was the first time I'd heard that my house had a name. I changed the locks while Ollie ate chicken noodle soup for lunch and watched one of his favorite shows. I gave him some children's allergy medicine, and after that, he told me he was going to go play upstairs with Bootsy. Perfect. He stayed in his playroom while I kicked my feet up on the arm of the couch. Having not slept the night before, I was already exhausted. I immediately dozed into a heavy sleep. When I woke up, the light in the living room had changed. I looked at my phone. I'd been asleep for two hours. I shot upright, panic set in fast, but right away I could hear Ollie moving around upstairs. I heard the usual clattering of toys on the floor. Everything was fine. He was here. He was safe. I took a deep, relieved breath and climbed the stairs to check on him. He didn't even seem to notice that I'd been asleep. I went downstairs to get a drink of water, and that's when I noticed the back door was open again. It wasn't wide open like last night. It was just cracked. Maybe I hadn't closed it all the way? I stepped into the backyard and looked around. Surely I'd have woken up if someone had come in the house. But before I went inside, I noticed something on the ground. It was that barometer that I'd hung up the day before. It had been in good shape when I hung it up, very well preserved. But now, it was all battered and scraped far worse than if it had just fallen off the fence. I noticed a rock on the ground nearby, with a point that would have made scrapes just about the size of the ones on the barometer. I went back upstairs to Ollie's playroom and I asked him about it sternly. He looked like a deer in headlights. He said he was just trying to get the medicine out of it for his cough. What medicine? I asked. The medicine inside the thermometer, he said. I felt my head spin. There wasn't medicine inside the thermometer. It was mercury. He'd been trying to drink mercury. He went on. She told me to smell the bottles in the basement too, but I didn't because the door was locked. My mouth must have fallen wide open. The basement's where I keep my chemicals and tools out of his reach. He shouldn't even know that they're there. I reacted more harshly than I should have, but I was horrified. If he'd known how to open that door or smash that thermometer, he'd have killed himself while I was sleeping on the couch. I was terrified, and Ollie started crying too, reacting to me. I got a hold of myself and I gave him a hug. where would you get an idea like that? That's not medicine, okay? It's very dangerous. He nodded his head and looked up at me. His lip was still quivering. He was trying to hold back tears. He said he was sorry, and then he said that Bootsy had told him it would help. Every toy was out on the floor. The room was a complete mess, but that's the least I deserved for falling asleep on him like that. We made a couple new rules that day. Don't go outside without telling me, and don't take any medicine unless me or his mom gives it to him. After cleaning up his playroom, I didn't feel like cooking, so we ordered dinner. Sometime after dinner, he told me that Bootsy had to go home. I told him that it wasn't bedtime yet, and she could stay a little longer if she wanted. There was no harm in playing along. But Ollie insisted. She has to go. Her dad is waiting. I feigned a look of understanding. Well, we don't want to keep Bootsy's dad waiting. I asked offhand, where do Bootsy and her dad live? Ollie looked up at me like it was a perfectly normal thing to say. She lives under the tree. After Ollie was asleep, I went down to the kitchen and poured a drink. I'm not the kind of person that believes in ghosts or spirits, but something was very wrong. Ollie had never done anything like that, and combined with all the doors coming open in the middle of the night, I threw on a sweatshirt and I went out to the backyard. The dreary day had turned into a bright night, with lights from town caught up in the clouds. It was quiet. Even the steady rumble of traffic on the bridge seemed muffled. I picked up the barometer from where I'd left it on the ground. I turned it over in my hands to make sure it wasn't leaking, and then I threw it in the trash. I checked the basement door again to make sure it was locked. Then, I walked out to the end of the yard, to the clump of trees where Ollie had first started talking to Bootsy. She lives under the tree, he said. My kids say creepy things all the time. I don't know what I expected to see. There was mud, tree roots, dead leaves. Something in the way that Ollie had said it so matter-of-factly. She lives under the tree. I looked down at the mass of tangled tree roots. They were wrapped around two big rocks, slowly breaking them up causing them to crack and erode. I hadn't really noticed them before. How often do you pay attention to tree roots? I put my phone's light on the stone, and the harsh glow revealed something that the sunlight hadn't. Texture. It looked like. Writing. Crumbling in the tree's grip. Part of a name. Part of a date. God damn it. It was a gravestone. The week went by too fast. And just like that, it was almost time for us to pack up his things and make that long drive to meet his mom. Even though he'd be back after Christmas, I was missing something every time he was away. He'd come back and feel bigger, a little bit more grown up. He'd figure out his R's and L's and W's, and before we'd know it, more and more of those little kid pronunciations would be gone. He'll have new games to teach me so I can play along with them, but he'll have moved away from some others, and that little part of life, it'd be gone. Sure, something new would come in its place, But you mourn little things like that when they're gone. I think every parent has the same thought at some point. A wish that we could stop the passage of time or slow it down a little bit. Keep my little boy like this just a little bit longer. Keep that simple, uncomplicated kind of love. Hold the real world off just a little bit longer. But that's not how life works. We only get the time we have, and when it's gone, it's gone. That goes for your kid's time, too. And I was missing too much of it. His last night with me, we went to bed at our normal time. He asked to leave the curtains open again so he could see Bootsy. He'd done this every night this week and every night i closed them after he went to sleep. But tonight, I was already missing him, even though he hadn't gone home yet. I decided to lay there a little longer. Ollie snuggled up against my side, and just like I do sometimes, I closed my eyes, and before I knew it, I was fast asleep. I woke up in a groggy daze. It was three in the morning. Ollie's room felt different. There was something off, something I couldn't place. I looked over and I saw the open curtains on the window, and I felt uneasy. A part of me wanted to get up and close them, but another part of me didn't want to go anywhere near the window. I didn't want to look down into the backyard, but eventually, I did. The night was brighter than it had been when we'd gone to sleep. The moon was out and nearly full. I took a long look around the backyard, trying to figure out what was making me so uneasy. There was nothing. I closed the curtains, making sure they were shut tight so the light wouldn't wake him. Then I went across the hall to my bedroom. But I was awake, I was alert and I was on edge. When I realized that lying there with my eyes open was going to do me no good, I went downstairs to get something to drink. Outside the kitchen window, I could see the whole yard clearly. I got a coat, and then stepped out the back door into the grass. I walked back to the tree by the back fence, the one with the gravestones caught up in the roots. I looked at them for a long time, I couldn't believe that I was seriously thinking about it. But I was. That would explain the doors. It would explain the uneasy feelings. And it would explain Bootsy. I took my light off the stone and the tree roots and turned back toward the house. That's when I got a shock. The house wasn't the way that I'd left it. The curtains in Ollie's room The ones that I closed before leaving, they were open again. And Ollie was standing there, looking down at me from the window.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a 5-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This was Part 1 of Tangled in the Roots, written and narrated by Ian Epperson. Brandy is Bridget Howard. Music, editing, and sound design by Kayla Britchie. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Michael Vasquez, Paul Doyle, Amy Harper, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Taylor Crabbe, Chantelle Payne, Nick, and Emily Douglas. Thank you so much for your support. Our patrons get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators and they get a second monthly story. On Patreon, you'll find merch, bloopers, behind the scenes content, and weekly updates on the show. We're on social media. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at some version of 13Pod or Pod13. Just look for the logo. We'll have links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or if you'd like to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You'll find submission guidelines and other info on our website, 13podcast.com. You can find that in the show notes, too. Bridget Howard is right behind you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.